Our scripture reading this morning comes from a number of passages taken, of course, of Psalm 19 that we're dealing with in this couple of weeks, yesterday, or last week, this week, and ahead. We'll start with verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Oh, how I love your law. It is my medication all day day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding, and therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Please pray with me. Thank you, Father, for giving us your infallible word. And that is, we can have it in front of us. And we thank you for that. It is my prayer, Lord, that through the preaching of Pastor Andrew this morning, we come again to understand what a treasure we have. A treasure that makes us wiser than our enemies. A wisdom that makes earthly wisdom fade away in comparison. And we have been inundated with earthly information in the last 14 months. Draw us back, Lord, to the wisdom that comes from you and forms a true light on our path. And so grant us listening ears and an open heart this morning as this portion of scripture is opened for us, aided by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And it's in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen. Before I forget, uh, housekeeping note, I, I think we're pretty close to out of bulletin, so if some of you want to recycle some of them on your way out, 
just leave them at the, uh, the exits. There we go. You don't have to think about that again until you leave. Uh, previously on Sweeter Than Honey, uh, I feel like I have to do a recap, you know, the, the week uh, television shows do that. Uh, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about God's Word and we're on this whole series talking about God's Word, particularly through the lens of Psalm 119. And if you were to sum up the last two weeks, first week it's this, uh, in God's Word we meet God. In, in the law of God, we meet the God of the law. It's not just a detached, dusty book that we come to, but it's the very heart of God as we come to God's word that we meet him. Last week, we said not only do we meet the person of God, but we also get the priorities of God. Uh, as we walk through God's word, what we understand is that closest to the heart of God is that our souls would be revived. Uh, that we would be returned, restored, renewed in a right relationship with our Creator. And, and we talked about that, you know, as we walk through Psalm 19, Psalm 119. Uh, this is a priority that the Word sets uh, before us. Today we're going to come to the very next thing. If you're reading Psalm 19, verses 7, when it comes to, you know, it talks about the glory of God that we see in the world around us, uh, but in his sacred word, uh, we read that God revives a soul, and then secondly, he says, he makes wise the simple. This, uh, of course, is repeated in some of the verses that we just read, Psalm 119, 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding or wisdom uh, to the simple. How many of you feel like you could use some wisdom? Amen. Uh, I got both hands up. You only had one. Uh, we, we all need wisdom. We need wisdom on, on big things and little. I, I see lots of parents here, kids. I mean, those things, I mean, I, I love these kids. I love these guys sitting in the front row, too. Uh, I, I, I love these kids, but they are enigmatic. I mean, they are puzzles mysteries and uh, you know how do we raise them how do we how do we help lead them in this world it, it's it's something that we need wisdom for uh, we need wisdom on some of the complex things that are facing I, I have people ask me questions about bioethics like pastor what do you think about gene therapy I'm not sure I can spell gene therapy uh, but there are so many questions that are uh, bound up with inheritance genes and applying it in this way and how does it affect our vaccinations and I mean there are all sorts of of questions that are bound up transhumanism have you given transhumanism a lot of thought lately like what does that look like how do we apply it I mean, there are so many things which we you know they hurt our heads to to think about and then there's just the real basic things like who do I marry or uh, what job do I pursue, or what kind of car do I buy, where do I hang the art in my living room, all of these different things. We, we are people that are thirsty for wisdom. And, and so what I want to do this morning is we've, we've read, you know, a number of places where we see that it's God's Word that helps us 
understand, it, it makes us wise, it, it leads us in a particular way. There are all sorts of words that are used here in this passage. Maybe you paid attention to some of those words like good judgment, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, truth, light. These all speak to this thing that we're, we're, we're longing for, we're loving. So I want to just ask a few questions this morning about it. First of all, what is the wisdom of the word? Uh, what is it th that we're really longing for, and, and how do we understand that, uh, particularly against the wisdom of the world? Uh, secondly, how do we get it? And then thirdly, what does it look like when it's applied? Uh, so what is it, how do we get it, and then what does it look like when it's applied? So what is this wisdom that is being talked about here? given you a, a few passages, and these are not exhaustive. I, I commend to you all of Psalm 119. certainly doesn't uh, categorize it or come to it in a specific order. They're sort of interspersed throughout the, the Mem section, 97 uh, to 104. That's the Hebrew letter Mem. Every verse in that begins with that. Uh, has a, is really focused on this, so that's all printed for you there in your bulletin. But uh, uh, there are a number of things that we observe about the character of wisdom. One, as we've already said, uh, is that it is something that reveals to us the heart of God. You see that in verse 68. Uh, we read that verse a little bit earlier. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. Uh, who God is, what he does, is revealed in his commands. Uh, so when we seek to understand what wisdom is, we, we understand that it is bound up with who God is. It's bound up with what God is. So if we want to be wise, study God. <laughs> study his commands. What what has he laid out for us? These are the things that, that will make us wise. Wisdom, understanding is bound up with who God is. Secondly, and kind of closely related to this, uh, verse 73, uh, also printed for you, your hands have made and fashioned me, give me understanding that I may learn your commands. One of the things that the psalmist says about wisdom is, is that it is, uh, it comports with the design of the designer, uh, that as we come to our life, as we come to our world, we realize that somebody made it. Your hands, O oh Lord, have fashioned me. You have designed me. You made me a certain way. If I want to be wise, if I want to have understanding, knowledge, light to my path, all of these things, it behooves me to look at the one who made me. Uh, this is really important as we, we seek to understand a lot of these issues. I mean, we're, we're facing as a culture questions about sexuality. How do we go forward? Well, let's ask the designer. Uh, what does the designer in his word have to say about sexuality? How do we apply that to our lives? What does it say about gender? All of these things that we're wrestling with, wisdom uh, happens, wisdom is, is uh, acquired when we seek the design of the designer. And this makes sense. I mean, I, I use a MacBook uh, computer. I've, I've used Apple products for a long time. Uh, if I get in trouble uh, with my MacBook and I need to figure something out about it, uh, I'm not going to consult a Microsoft user's guide. 
It's going to, I mean, they're both talking about computers, but it's not going to lead me in the right place. You know, it's not going to, you know, get me in the place where I can function. I know how to work it out. If I am using an Apple, I have to consult the Apple user guide. That will give me the direction that I need most of the time. Uh, So design of the designer. The third thing that I'll highlight for you in terms of character of wisdom, and we see it in 160, uh, the psalmist says the, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Here we find something that as we talk about wisdom, and this is really important, particularly in this cultural moment, uh, is that wisdom is acquiring a knowledge that lies outside of us. Uh, The sum of God's word is truth. Uh, This is a controversial statement uh, in today's culture. Uh, Today's culture, as you know, talks about truth as being something that is inside of us. We speak our truth. We, uh, We determine our own truth. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 160, is contra anything that Disney has been putting out since The Little Mermaid. Uh, I, I love their animated things. I mean, they're, they're so magical, so wonderful. But, but the constant message is, you know, you find your truth inside yourself. Uh, just get in touch with who you are, how you feel, and you will find your truth. I, I challenge you kids, you've watched these things, you've watched Pocahontas, you've watched all of these things. You know, as you go back, notice that the, each of the characters is challenged to sort of find their truth inside themselves. Uh, but that's different than what we see here. It's your word is truth. Truth lies outside of yourself. C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man, he, he talks about the, the difference between uh, wisdom as it was thought about in, in ancient days versus wisdom as it's thought about now. He says, for wise men of old, the cardinal problem has been how to conform the soul to the reality, and the solution has been knowledge, uh, self-discipline, and virtue. You know, so that, that was the way we used to approach things. We used to approach things like, I need to understand more about how to be a person that is good or how to be a person. So I'm going to look outside of myself. But nowadays, he says, the problem is how do we subdue what's outside reality to the wishes of men? We, we've sort of we've twisted it around. And so the issue isn't so much how do I conform to what I'm seeing in the revelation of the world around me, both natural revelation, special revelation, but it's how do, how do those things conform to me? And, and that is not wisdom. Uh, what, what the scriptures say is wisdom is when we bring ourselves to the truth. We bring ourselves under the truth. There's something about authority here. And again, this is, this is uh, gristy, right, in the, in the 21st century. Like, we don't like that concept. We don't like the idea that we would be under the authority of someone or something else that would be saying, no, there is a right way to do these things. 
There is a way that you were created. And so three things about wisdom so far. It's the heart of God. God is a designer. Uh, it, it speaks to us of a truth that is outside of ourselves. And the fourth thing, and this is really central, especially to the Old Testament concept of wisdom. In, in the Old Testament, particularly Hebrew, you know, Jewish thought, the way that they thought about wisdom was not necessarily something that just had to do with the intellect. It wasn't just a, a set of facts, but it was knowing how to apply them in the course of our everyday lives, how to apply them when the rules didn't necessarily apply, where it wasn't a choice between something that was moral and immoral. Uh, so let me show it to you first here in the scriptures. I think we see it, uh, 97, nine, or I'm sorry, uh, 99 and 100. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. So it's not about knowledge. I mean, the teachers are the ones that are imparting the knowledge, right? But it's how to apply the knowledge that this younger psalmist is saying, your word gives me the edge on my teachers, or I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. It's in the practice, it's in the keeping of the precepts uh, that we, we outstrip those who maybe have more life experience or maybe uh, just see things uh, a little bit more clearly in terms of an intellect. So it goes beyond that. And, and I think you can understand that. Like, I mean, we've certainly seen this this last 14 months, pandemic. There's been all sorts of information. Uh, all sorts of scientific information, all sorts of psychological information, all sorts of sociological information. I mean, we have been at an information glut. Uh, so are we wise? <laughs> no. <laughs> We're not wise because of that information. In fact, I'm tired because of all of that information. Uh, we're wise when we can sort through it and learn how to apply it in, in ways that 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 take uh, that that take into account the reality of the world that we live in. I mean, that is the the type of thing that is wisdom. It's not simply the presence of information, the intellectual ability. Uh, you all know people that are incredibly smart, but they can't tie their shoes. Uh, there, there's something about wisdom that is different than just raw knowledge or raw intellect. Think about this in this way. Like the hard decisions of life, uh, like your job, uh, who you're going to marry. I have conversations with folks all the time about these types of things. Like, how do I, how do I know? And especially, you know, you can think about a job, like assuming that you're not going to be a drug smuggler uh, or something like that. Uh, you've got the choice between two jobs. There's morally, there is nothing wrong with either job. Uh, you, uh, but you have to choose, you know, job A comes with this, job B comes with this. How are we wise in that? You know, it, it's, not a, it's not a choice between something that's right and wrong. A and the Bible doesn't specifically tell us, like, what it is that we are to do. And we have that all the time. I have so many people, just tell me what to do. I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> 
you have to decide. You have to explore and you have to apply the wisdom that God gives you. So, so this is wisdom, the big picture. You know, it comes from God. Uh, God is a designer. Uh, it's a truth that's outside of ourselves. And it is an, an applied activity that exceeds just simply raw knowledge. Uh, that's the picture of biblical wisdom. And we all want it. I, I, I trust that most of you here would say, yes, I, I want to be wise in that way. So that leads us to the next question. How do we obtain it? How do we get it? A and the answer here is in 97 and 99. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. This has been sort of a, an underlying theme that's been threatening to push in the last couple of weeks, uh, this idea of meditation. Uh, as I mentioned last week, Psalm 1, uh, the Psalter starts off right at the beginning. You know, don't walk, stand, or sit in the way of sinners or scoffers. Uh, but the blessed man, their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law they meditate day and night. At the very beginning of the Psalter, throughout the Psalter, uh, Old Testament, when Joshua is, is being commissioned to go into the promised land, uh, God said, here is my word, the law, don't let it depart from your mouth or your lips, but on it meditate day and night, Joshua 1 verse 8. Uh, this is a concept that God constantly has before us. And it's really important because, you know, going back to Lewis and the abolition of man, he says, uh, he says you know, the, in the old days, people sought for this virtue that was outside of them, and they were looking to obtain it through understanding, through self-discipline, all of these things. Nowadays, people are looking for a truth that is more inside of them, and they seek to acquire it by technique. Uh, and, and we oftentimes approach the Bible that way. We approach prayer that way. Uh, we approach it as a technique. Like, I have a question. I am going to uh, go to God's Word and see what it gives me. And so some of you have done this. I certainly don't recommend this. The, you know, the, I'm going to open the Bible, put my finger down, and see what God says. That, that's a technique. Now, I, I know that some of you are, are not as sort of overt as that, but that's kind of the way that we think about God's Word. We think about it as this commodity uh, that is going to give us what we need. We, we want to use God's Word uh, in order to, uh, you know, maybe buttress our opinions or maybe uh, help us to escape from a particular problem. We, we use it rather than meditating on it, rather than assimilating it. Uh, Eugene Peterson, I, I gave you that quote last week in terms of our meditation. He says, uh, Christians feed on Scripture. And this is getting at what we mean by meditation. Uh, Christians don't simply learn or study or use Scripture. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized out 
into acts of love, acts of worship, all of these different things. This is the concept of meditate. In fact, uh, the Hebrew word meditate has a root, H-G-H, uh, Hagah. And, uh, and that has at its root the idea of growling or cooing. And, uh, you know, Peterson goes on to give this picture of a dog with a bone. You know, if you give a dog a bone, they'll take it, they'll, they'll go off to the side, they'll put it between their forepaws, and, and they'll just, you know, suck on that thing, savor every last bit, they'll, they'll crunch up everything that they can. Uh, sometimes you can hear them sort of rumbling in their chest with contented delight as they're dueling, doing this. If you try to take it away from them, they rumble in their chest with something less than contented delight. But, but that's the picture, and that's what the psalmist is saying, like, I, I, am, I am meditating, I am savoring, I am sucking to the marrow this bone of your word in order that it could be assimilated into my being and that it could be metabolized out uh, in terms of a wise interaction with this world, world that you have created. That's, that's the picture. And this really speaks to what we've been saying the last couple of weeks is my greatest fear in preaching on the Scripture is that you somehow get a great sense of duty, of obligation, like I, I've got to put in my time, you know, i got to fill in my spreadsheet, check my boxes, i got to read the amount of word, you know, read the word this amount of time, all of that. But when you see a dog with a bone, you, you get what the psalmist says here, right? The psalmist says, I love your law, 97. It is my meditation. It, it's not about duty, it's about delight, that's so what he says in, in verse 24 that we read, your testimonies are my delight. Psalm, or, or verse 103 says, um, how sweet are your words to my taste. Uh, they are sweeter than honey to the mouth. You see, this, this goes way beyond duty. This goes way beyond concept or just knowledge acquisition. What this is is relationship. You know, when we, when we meet God through his word, when we recognize that, when we, we see in these, you know, fairer, brighter lines, my bleeding, dying Lord, you know, that is where we, we see that love, that delight, that sweetness. We have the experience through relationship with the Lord. And that's my desire for myself. It's my desire for you is that you would not see the word as a chore, but that your meditation would be a delight. I mean, we do need to meditate. Uh, we cannot expect to be wise as individuals. We cannot expect to be wise. We can't expect to influence the culture around us as a community, as a church, if we're not meditating on God's word. It just simply doesn't make any sense. We're not going to have the wisdom. We're not going to have the character, the virtue, all of these things. We're not going to have that to engage with God's word. But the reason why we meditate is because we meet the Lord, is because we meet uh, our bleeding, dying Lord, the one who loved us. This is what Paul says, right, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, he's like, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? He, he's writing this in the context of the Greeks. And, and we still talk about Greeks philosophy. I mean, these guys were smart. They had wisdom. They, they impacted the world. But look at, what, look at what Paul goes on to say. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who, we be, who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, the wisdom of God ultimately is a person. It's the Lord Jesus. Proverbs 8, we, we see, uh, you know, throughout Proverbs that, that he's saying, get wisdom. And then in chapter 8 of Proverbs, we see wisdom personified. We see wisdom uh, overseeing, uh, or overseeing creation. And, and we recognize that wisdom is none other than the second person of the Trinity. We see wisdom here, which seems folly. It seems folly to the world to talk about blood, to talk about a cross, to talk about death, resurrection, to talk about weakness, overcoming the principalities and the powers of the world. It seems like folly, but when we meet Jesus, we meet wisdom. And, and this is what the psalmist is saying. May this be your meditation, day and night. May you be so filled with the word of God because you meet the wisdom of God, the son of God. And that's our, that's our invitation. No matter where you are, you all, and I don't know everybody here this morning, uh, but we, we all stand in relation to Jesus somehow. You know, some of you have been walking with him for a long time. Uh, some of you uh, kind of have your back turned to him right now. You don't want to hear what Jesus has to say to you. Uh, others of you are maybe more doubting, more questioning. I, I recognize we're all at different points in, in our relationship to Jesus, in our path. But what the psalmist is saying is it's when we meditate on the word of God that we meet the heart of God. We meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we want to really have wisdom, that's where we go. Let me just do one more thing here as we come to a close. I want to show you how this gets applied. The next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing this. Uh, we we're, we're keep moving into sort of more practical aspects of what the psalmist is saying. So next week, we're going to look at emotions. You know, how does, how, how does the word help us to be wise with regards to our emotions? You know, the word of God rejoices the heart. It says, uh, how do we walk through suffering? The word of God brings comfort in affliction. That's two weeks from now. Uh, you know, how does a young man keep his way pure? How do we understand, you know, sexuality and purity and all of these things? That's three weeks from now. Justice, four weeks from now. So you see that, you know, there's this practical aspect because wisdom is tied up with an application. You see that in 101, 102. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules. Through your precepts, I get understanding, 104. Therefore, I hate every false way. So if we really want to begin to understand what wisdom looks like, 
we look to we look to the application of our lives, people around us. You know, how does it how is it getting played out? This is one of the places where we go in terms of application. Certainly, it's it's a uh, it's a light for us in dark places. Uh, 105 is probably the most famous verse in in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We see a, a similar thing in, is it verse 130? The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So, you know, what, what does it look like in, in the dark places? And again, as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at that in a couple of weeks. But I thought just really practically, we'd look at what the psalmist says uh, in, in verse uh, verse 98, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. We, we see the, the topic of enemies or foes throughout the Psalms. And incidentally, the Psalms themselves are an example of the meditation. You know, like as you read the Psalms, you see what meditation looks like worked out. So you take Psalm 27, for instance, and there... Uh, the psalmist David is, is thinking about this issue of enemies. My enemies encamp, uh, encamp themselves around me. And, you know, what does it look like for me to deal with my enemies? And he says, one thing I will seek, or, or one thing I ask for, that I may dwell in the house of my Lord forever. You know, you have said, your face, Lord, uh, seek my face, your face, Lord, shall I seek. You know, this is, is what David is talking about in Psalm 27, seeking to make sense of his enemies. So let, let's just go back. And now hey, one of the guys in or one of the people in our sermon discussion group that we have each week where we talk about this passage that's coming up pointed out that with the psalmist, the law or the statutes, the word that they had was pretty much only the Torah. Now, we, we recognize that we're coming to the whole of God's word, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, all of that. But, but they had pretty much just the Torah, the, the five books, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, so when they're talking about that, they're saying, I can get wisdom just out of those five books. Well, let's just take the law, the Ten Commandments, and let's just take the last five uh, and apply it to our enemies. Uh, so, for instance, you know, number five, uh, honor your father and mother. Speaks to us about authority. It speaks to us about uh, relationships and roles and all of these different things. As you think about your enemy, whoever that may be, and your enemy may be a, you know, somebody at school who is a bully, uh, your enemy may be um, your parents for a time or your kids for a time, maybe your spouse, it may be a coworker, a colleague, it may be somebody who's on the opposite side of the political spectrum. I mean, our enemies, you know, change a little bit and, and there's application in all sorts of ways with this. But we think through the concept of authority, you know, what the role relationship that I have with this person, how does that inform how I interact with that? How does that inform what things I may say about them or not say about them? Number six, uh, you shall not kill. Speaks to us about you know, the image of God in people. And, and it's something that's always important. When we remember our enemies, no matter how ideologically opposed to us they may be, 
And I'm talking about radical Islam. I'm talking about all of these things. They are still creatures made in the image of God. And that affects, that informs how I interact with them. Think about seven. You know, I shall not commit adultery. Speaks to us about having properly ordered loves. You know, what am I passionate about in my life? Am I passionate about the right things? How do I apply that with regards to my enemy? Eight, you shall not steal. You know, we think about money or goods, but you know, you can steal somebody's honor. You can steal somebody's dignity. You know, what does it look like when I am getting ready to hit send on that Facebook post? You know, am I stealing this person's uh, honor? Am I stealing their dignity? Uh, Same with nine, right? Bearing false witness means that we tell the truth and the whole truth. I can't can't, uh, say something about this person either in print uh, or in, in my words that is going to bear less than absolutely true witness to who they are. Yeah, I mean, we can find bad characteristics about everybody. Uh, But if we only highlight those, if we only paint caricatures of people with regards to that, you know, and if there are enemies, we we are not honoring, we're not honoring uh, the idea of of bearing false witness or not bearing false witness. Ten, coveting. I I love the confession that we use sometimes uh, here where it talks about coveting. It says, "I I will not desire the gifts or the opportunities that God in his wisdom righteously has given to others. You know, and so often with our enemies, I mean, there's actually a root of covetousness there, right? Because they are uh, experiencing something that we secretly want. So there's just one situation, you know, one sort of meta category, this idea of enemies. We just walked through five simple commandments uh, and, and we realize that if, these, if we have assimilated these, and if we are thinking through that grid, acting through that grid, we are going to be wise. We, we're, we're not going to be unwise. But it takes time. It's not a technique. You know, it's not something that you can just you know, draw out a, a spreadsheet or, or put together 10 steps to the, I mean, it, it takes time, it takes a lifetime you know, to meditate on God's word, to assimilate it, to allow it to come through. I, you know, this past week, I think, was the centenary anniversary of John Stott's birth, which I thought was kind of an interesting thing to note. Uh, he died a few years ago. He was a great Bible teacher. Uh, known for his uh, just able to take like these really complex things and, and make them simple uh, that you could understand. But I love what the, art, uh, the author of the article, a guy by the name of John Yates, says about him. He says, Stott was undeniably a brilliant communicator. He was known for the clarity, the conciseness of his thought, but his natural gifts did not relieve him of the struggle of careful study and the strain required for understanding God's word and applying it in the modern world. Brothers and sisters, there there is wisdom for us. Uh, There is wisdom for us. It's bound up in God's word. 
but you're not going to get it by a technique. Uh, you, you meditate, gnaw on it, dog with a bone, suck it to its marrow, allow it to assimilate into your heart because you love the one who gave us this word, the one who meets us in this word. One final word of encouragement. You know Philippians 2, many of you do. Uh, let this mind, uh, let this mind be yours. Uh, let this, how does it go? I just lost it there. Nothing like ending strong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let this mind be in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know, so he says, think like Christ, but also be assured that it is yours in Christ Jesus. And, and when we come to the table in, in just a minute, that's what we are proclaiming, and that is what we are being reminded of, is that we're not on our own, it, is that Christ has given us his very, the mind of Christ in order that we might go out. You are in union with the Lord, with your Savior, and so it, it's, it's not, it's not uh, an impossibility that we who struggle so much can act with wisdom in God's world. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for uh, the way that you meet us and you remind us of, of not only just a, a dusty old truth, but you, you meet us with something that is sweeter than honey uh, because you yourself are sweeter than honey. Lord, we pray, and even as we sing this song, Lord, we ask that you would be our vision, that you would be our wisdom, that you would be our delight, uh, and that we would continue to recognize that it is only in you that we are going to find what we need as we seek to navigate our way through this world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.